Happy Thursday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Airport Minute where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over, minute by minute, the greatest disaster movie ever made, the 1970 Universal Pictures movie, Airport. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm host number two, Mark Cerulli, uh, sitting in an undisclosed location in the Hollywood Hills. We are thrilled to have a very special guest back with us once again. Actor, voiceover artist extraordinaire, and owner of the best pipes in the business, Mr. David DeVries. Well, greetings, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, that voice. That voice. Uh, I love it. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> wow. You should talk to my agent. Yeah, maybe he, gave, maybe he would feel the same way. <laughs> At least you have an agent, man. That is, that's no, no small accomplishment right there. Well, that's true. Wow. Well, we are we are in the middle of uh, very exciting times. This is uh, things are getting a little critical. Uh, mostly, Gwen's getting awful critical of uh, Ada Quonset, who she has just identified as a uh, a stowaway. Right. And she's pretty nasty about it for a, a sweet British woman. Yeah, but she's so pretty doing it. You just kind of go, "Wow, I, you know, be, be mean to me, please." Yeah. Yeah. Grab me by the arm. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Uh, yeah, she was just so kind of continental wasn't she i mean she was kind of british but not like super british and just you know she was kind of indeterminate she's a little mission impossible-ish yeah haughty a little haughty i think it's just a. she was a haughty hottie yeah uh, very good <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, of course we're talking about um helen hayes but yeah. uh, well, I'm yeah. just kidding. Well, you know, oh, uh, Ellen Hayes is a minx. Don't get yeah. me started. Well, she was a she was a babe in her day, no question yeah. about it. And for for just a a time reference at the time we're recording this, Jacqueline Bisset is now the same age as Helen Hayes was in this movie. So wow. time does fly. I think if they ever do the remake, yeah, if they ever do the remake, they could have uh, Jacqueline Bisset as uh, Ada Quonset. I'd I'd watch that movie. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, um, Helen. She did age so gracefully, and she still obviously totally had her chops, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. She was great. But I, I think that the the interesting thing about the um, the minute is is Van Heflin doing his perspiration acting mm. because basically he does nothing but let, the, let the, <laughs> the perspiration kind of glow on his forehead, and that's all that needs to be said. That's all the yep. meta information that the character needs to, you know, uh, broadcast. He's got it all. Yeah, he does yep. look like he's fighting indigestion. <laughs> just, it's amazing. Just, <laughs> just his eyes and his eyebrows and avoiding looking at anything. Um, he's kind of a scary-looking guy, really. I mean, yeah. he has got, he's got this uh, kind of base level of uh, intensity. Yeah. And, you know, kind of those piercing eyes and everything. I just thought I was very kind of scared of him when I saw it as a kid, you know. I just thought, oh, he's up to he's trouble. He is total mm -hmm. trouble. Yeah. And where where everybody else in the scene, I mean, as this gets more and more soap opera ish and people start it's almost vaudevillian acting the way that they're over their uh their hand wavings and, and shoutings and things. He just focuses and gets really tight and almost no motion at all. I mean, it's very still as he's doing things. Just with the eyes. You know, it's amazing. The acting that he does, he doesn't have to, you know, get verbose or anything. It's just with the, the, the look on his face, his hands. I mean, you, you can feel his tension. And he's, I mean, that's acting. That's Well, it's, uh, it's great screen acting, you know. Um, mm -hmm. it, 
the really great actors that are that are able to kind of understand uh, scale in terms of the difference between stage and um, you know screen acting, uh, they can they know that with that camera that close that uh, so little needs to be done in order to tell the story mm-hmm. and to understand and to understand its part in the context of the greater storytelling you know picture is um it's it's great it's just a it's a wonderful exercise in restraint and you know frequently when i've been on um sets i've been amazed by how little it it appears people do on screen when the camera is rolling but then when you see the finished product uh, how much is filled in it's all there you just can't, you really, you can't see it unless you're six inches away almost. Mm. So I'm sure that in those scenes, he probably to the crew looked like he was doing less than nothing. Like, <laughs> you know, they're paying that guy to do that. Are you yeah, kidding yeah, me? yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. What, that's yeah. a good point. Well, just uh, one thing, you worked a lot on Broadway. You know, I saw you as Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Is Helen Hayes still revered on Broadway? I think so. I think that she's kind of, you know, in that pantheon of, uh, you know, of theatrical luminaries, uh, you know, the every f- fair sized town in America has their um, their theater awards. Of course, the national New York ones are the Tonys in Chicago. It's the Joseph Jefferson Awards. But in Washington, D.C., it's the Helen Hayes Awards. So that ought to tell you a little something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that she came from a theatrical family and, you know, she's just so good. She's got such clarity to her work and she is a little bit more of a, you can, you can really kind of tell if you're being really picky about it, you can tell that she's got a kind of a theatrical, that she has a theatrical background because she has a little bit more, the scale of her performance is a little bigger than, um, than other actors in the, in in the movie and i'm not saying it's too big it's not because she's playing kind of a comic relief character anyway that gets kind of it's a nice story turn in in this where you realize oh we're i don't want to get too far ahead that's a minute ahead but anyway <laughs> you know you can tell she's just got just a little bit more of a uh she's a little bigger just a little bit more panache in her in her kind of acting style. And I think that that comes from her being a great stage actor. Do you hear it also in her elocution? I mean, I, I think she's pronouncing things a little bit. Uh, she, she puts a lot of emphasis in almost every word that she says where uh, I don't, I'm not hearing that from Jacqueline Bissett. Or Dean Martin. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he's not in that scene, but you know, but yeah, you know, it's funny because when the Hollywood when Hollywood was just absolutely exploding, they they probably just couldn't get enough guys who could speak right. And so there were, there were just so many actors that were coming over from England who had those kinds of chops had had, you know, great elocution and diction. And so consequently you had this kind of uh, movie English that was just a little bit more British and it just had, it had a, a kind of a crispness to it for, for many, many years until, you know, Americans kind of American movie stars kind of caught on and 
you know, and then the whole method acting thing kind of changed. It changed the aesthetic of actors in uh, Amer in, in American cinema with Brando and Mitchum and James Dean and 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 that whole kind of generation of actors that followed. And Helen Hayes was really kind of a throwback to the uh, kind of the Adolf Manjou days of of cinematic elocution. So yeah, she does have a little bit of a remnant of that, and that that's part of what makes her so charming in the whole thing too yeah she she uh, actually goes even further back in, on the theatrical side she was very good friends with william gillette who was uh he was the man who actually pioneered I mean, when we when we think about sherlock holmes the character sherlock mm, holmes right although you know conan doyle wrote about holmes on stage william gillette created the character with the you know the deerstalker cap and the meerschaum pipe and all that he came up with that whole attitude of of how we picture holmes today and Gillette came all the way from like the era of Edwin Booth, of the you know Civil War and post Civil War things. He he was you know he was a child, but he came back. He came in from from that era. He knew people from from way back in the eighteen hundreds of of their acting style. So she's kind of the the linking piece between you know the past cent the century before this uh, and American uh, theater. So it, it's an interesting yeah. to see her here with you know young stars as well as. Uh, the old hoofers like uh, like Van Heflin, uh, mm -hmm. just uh, and she holds her own. Yeah, I mean she really does. Yeah, yeah, she's she's marvelous. She's just great. I love to watch her. Who would you say is the organizing sensibility in this particular scene? Do you think are are we supposed to be uh, identifying with uh, Helen Hayes or Van Heflin or Jacqueline Bissett or maybe uh, Whit Bissell even? I don't. I'm not sure who who do who do you feel that we should be identifying the most within this scene? How how do you think that the director's trying to do that? Well, you know, um, it's interesting because, you know, Van Heflin, we, we see enough of his, I think, do we see enough of his backstory so that we, we understand that this is a desperate, unhappy man who's about to do something desperate and, and tragic for a lot of people. So he's about to do a bad thing, but we have, we have a sense of of this man's kind of uh, pain and his backstory a little bit, you know, from earlier in the movie. But uh, Hayes, to, contrary to that, is somebody who seems so um, uh, approachable and 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 nice and and everything on the surface. But we don't know much about the backstory that has turned her into this kind of scofflaw. So it's kind of an interesting uh, kind of a juxtaposition of those two different characters, both people who are obviously flawed, but have very different dispositions publicly. And um, and the way the storytelling works, it just seems like um, yeah, our our affections are certainly with her. You know, the movie plays out to her advantage in terms of that as well. It's amazing how much is going. I mean, this is what well, we've been leading up to it for an hour and a half of what's going on here is this is kind of like a caper going on. And yet they're going to they're going to bring in the uh, the con artist to be part of the caper now, uh, being able to figure out how to how to parlay a uh, stowaway into being their access to the mad bomber. Yeah. And it's, and it occurs, you know, minute 99, that's really late in the story. It seems to me um, to, to, to have that, that kind of action in the structure of the, of the film, you would think that it, I would think that it might be earlier in the film, but no. So 99 is, is pretty, pretty late in the game to be doing yeah. 
that particular story yeah, element. Like what you were saying earlier with the mission Mission Impossible, this is kind of the mission briefing here that that gets down to. You, you have a you're having a mission briefing where they bring her into the cockpit and Dino is going to lay out the stakes and what uh, what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's still working on the last uh, the last story that was going on, where it sounded like they were going to just throw her out the window or something. It's funny, and she looks she for the first time she looks a little overwhelmed by stepping into the cockpit, you know, because that's you know for a passenger that's hallowed ground, especially in a flight. Yeah, that's true. Um, but um, I'm trying to remember what goes. She probably handles it with a plum. I'm trying to remember exactly how that goes, but she's obviously up to the task. I think is she? Yeah, I mean she uh, she has. I mean we we we've already seen how she's great at you know out outfoxing uh, people like uh, like Mister Coakley back in the uh, in the in the airline terminal. So right. she's on to the con, and well, she's not in in this particular minute, but she's about to be filled in on on things. So she knows the drill. And she, you know, she's already working the angles. Uh, as yeah. she's saying toward the end of this minute, she already knows like what flight they're probably going to send her home on. And I think that's where she was actually planning on making her escape. That well, I'll be able to get off of that. They won't be able to throw me out, and I'll, I'll get out of right. Rome. It'll be fine. So uh, I think she's always up for another caper. And uh, yes, and she shows herself to be a woman of great resource. Um, right. You know, with her with her knowledge of uh, the the um, plane schedules and everything. She's always thinking two or three chess moves ahead. So she's a, she's an apt person to be, you know, pulled into the whole thing. Yeah. And this, this kind of turns into the huddle before the big play. So it, 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 the audience is all leaning in their seats and there's nobody on the, nobody on the screen that you're not rooting for. You're like, Oh, I hope these guys win. I hope this, I hope they can come through against these impossible odds. So, and it is a bit of a misdirection play as well by the screenwriter because the the isn't the intent to to set it up so that Jackie Bissett's um, kind of pulling her out is uh, to lead the audience to think oh they finally got her they're gonna they're gonna take care of her you know about her stuff and then it leads to the other plot point mm-hmm. so yeah, you know it's her. worth. Right. Yeah. Where yeah the, we ne- we never get the we we we've never gotten this part of like what's going to happen next. Why are they going to get her? And this this could be just like they're pulling her out of the way, but we don't know why they brought her up front. So we don't know the rest of the story. Um, yeah. Where would you say? Would you know? Would you say that Helen Hayes's story is like the the D storyline or the F storyline? It's pretty far down the chain. I mean, there are there are a bunch of. St- yeah, there's subplots. We've right? counted we've counted nine so far. So this could be yeah, maybe yeah, maybe the maybe the D plot. I mean we've been watching her being a stowaway, but now that now this this storyline of her being a stowaway and getting away on the plane has been overlapped by the mad bomber one and you know the the situation where they've got to relieve the mad bomber. The mad bomber I would say is the B story. Mostly we're just trying to find out what Mel's gonna do about not getting fired and while he's losing his uh wife. Right, uh, right. Mel is Burt Lancaster. That's right. Yeah. Right. So we were, right. and, and that's like that's all going on. That's that's several layers down. We've kind of, kind of forgotten about him getting a divorce and things mm. because all this is going on. Meanwhile, there's a. I mean, the very first story that we ran into is a plane runs off the runway and they can't get it out of the snow, and that's right. all going to intersect. I forgot and, about that one. Yeah. So it's <laughs> there's so much so much going on here, uh, and you know we've got. Jacqueline Bissett's uh, pregnancy, 
We've got, you know, how's, how's Dino going to deal with that kind of thing? Um, there is, or not, or not deal with or it. Or not deal with it. <laughs> they may, they also may close down the airport because they have noise problems and, and, uh, Mel might lose his job over that. So, and, uh, you know, and then we've got the whole thing going on with Dio Guerrero and his wife and, and he's, you know, pawned her mother's wedding ring and things like that. And poor Inez Guerrero is lost and doesn't know what's going on. So we've got their whole relationship and the bomb and all that other stuff and, and trying to, trying to untangle all this stuff. This is kind of where it starts. Well, actually, the only thing they've untangled is they uh, they did figure out that Mel and his wife are getting a divorce. That so that one's kind of off the table. But so we're down to the last eight storylines to get going, and this is this is the lead up to a couple of intersections of uh, of storylines. But uh, great, ma- and finally Gary Collins gets some more face time where he's actually not a not a profile. We've been looking at the side. We've been looking at his left ear for about I'd say a half an hour now. They didn't <laughs> even oh, wait, introduce he him. He wasn't uh, an inflatable navigator. He no, was... he should. Yeah, <laughs> they should have named him Otto. So he, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad, but he's you know he he managed to show both both eyeballs on the screen now at, at once. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, no no lines, but I guess he got paid that day too, so it's all right. Uh, but a fast. This is a really a fascinating one, and we're getting so close. I mean, you can feel it's like watching those old. Uh, uh, those games that, that you'd go to an arcade and they'd have uh, nickels or quarters laying on the edge of a shelf and you're just waiting for the next nickel to fall over to knock over a bunch of other coins. And that's that's where we're at. These are all the dominoes are set up and, and now we just have to wait for them to, to, to start tumbling. Um, it is ambitious, though, for for the screenwriter to uh, assemble nine subplots. I mean, I wonder if somebody would, if, if, if a, a screenwriting teacher would say, yeah, that's 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 way too many. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. You can't. Yeah, that's I, just forget it. Shakespeare never did that. And blah blah blah. What, wasn't it in in the, I think it was the Big Sleep where somebody got murdered and they actually couldn't figure out who had the time to kill them and they just kind of forgot about the whole plot. It's in the middle of the Big Sleep. Somebody gets murdered, and by the time you get to the end of the movie, it, it, there's no clue as to who murdered the, the one of the people that gets killed in the Big Sleep, but that they had. They said, "Well, no time for that," and they issued the movie without figuring out wow. who did it. Hopefully, we'll get all. The, I think this one will actually start tying things up. Maybe not in uh, the neatest piles. One of the amazing things that I found out: someone who we had on as an earlier guest who had never seen this movie before was actually thinking that they were going to be able to talk Van Heflin out of blowing up the plane. That 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 would be, which is shows you just how successful the screenwriter is that you actually believe that you can have a disaster movie with no disaster. Right. Right. It also could have something to do with, uh, with our, uh, now, um, acquaintance with, you know, like police negotiators and, you know, and uh, the, the idea of someone actually talking to a crazy person, maybe, I don't know, maybe, uh, talking them off the, the, metaphorical ledge mm. i don't know if it was as as common or familiar a trope back in 1970 as it was as it is now you know we, we've seen lots of movies about people who do that for a living and and we find that but i don't know it yeah. could be what do you guys think wow well i modern day audiences seeing this movie I would think would be disappointed if there weren't a lot of explodey things going on and this this would True. be kind of a letdown if they didn't blow up the plane the pacing. Mm. I mean, we're used to such razor fast pacing today, thanks to MTV. Uh, that uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of younger people 
would start off at least start off being bored by this movie. Yeah, I just wonder if they kind of relate to a movie like this in the way that, you know, we would relate to the gay divorcee or something like that, you know, a, a movie that was made 30 years before our birth. I don't know. Yeah, it it's, I mean, you think of a movie like um, the Denzel Washington movie, Flight, it starts, Flight, with, yeah. it starts with the disaster. You know, they don't even, they, they work their way backwards because they figured they'd probably lose the audience if they didn't show something with lots of action. So yeah. it, it begins that way. It's, I mean, this this is one way of doing it. And lots of exposition, lots of plot complications on top of each other. Uh, the Poseidon Adventure, which would come out three years after three years after this, has its disaster happen thirty seven minutes into the movie. So mm. uh, that's still it's still quite a quite a walk up to you know watching the disaster. You know, if you think of like something like an Indiana Jones movie, that two minutes go by and then all of a sudden they start they start every movie off with some kind of a major disaster. Or as we were talking again earlier, the, the Mission Impossible movies, all of them start off with a, you know, kind of an appetizer of explosions and... and as uh, do the Bond movies now as well. Absolutely. I mean, that the, the Bond movies are now famous for their opening sequences. Yes, like, Can right. they top what they did the last time or whatever? Mark, what would be the movie, the, the nearest Bond movie to airport uh, when it came out? Would that be Diamonds or would it be... Uh... Oh, uh, uh, well, you have Majesties that came out in 69, and then Diamonds Are Forever was 71, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, I think that, that would, they would line up as having a having an action scene at the beginning there. So that would, that would be also what the, uh, what the audience was uh, accustomed to. Although after they had that initial action scene, it would wait a while, right? Wouldn't they? Have, you'd have a lot of exposition and a lot of layouts. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That's mostly a lot of non-action followed by action towards the Yeah, yeah, because that uh, director, Peter Hunt, wanted to try to get away from that. You know, he wanted to kind of kind of de-escalate from, from the action and the gadgetry and all the things that people love. I mean, it's still a great film, but it doesn't have a lot of that. That was the movie where Q is showing Bond uh, radioactive lint. Yeah. <laughs> is this, is, this is Lazenby, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And Diana Rigg. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who didn't, right. didn't get on together, as, as the Brits would say. Oh, they no? didn't get on. Oh. No, they didn't get on. In well, fact, there's a famous quote where uh, she said, uh, uh, well, we're about to, to do uh, the kissing scene, and I just had garlic for lunch. <laughs> wow. and well, I can't imagine that she would be anything less than professional. I don't know what, I don't know what George Lazenby's uh, re reputation was, but his career wasn't nearly as um, prolific as Diana Riggs. No, and she, she's still going today with Game of yeah. Thrones. So, you know, just but, you know, Lazenby... I've met him, and he, uh, he, he, let's say he is not lacking in self-confidence. I mean. Oh, interesting. But he, that, he uh, put all his money in real estate, and he has done incredibly well. Ah, smart guy, because he was a one-and-done in the bond department. Yep. And then he went, he went to, to Hong Kong, and he befriended uh, Bruce Lee, and I think he did a movie with him. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, he, he master of his own fate. Then that's a pretty good job. Uh, and no, <laughs> we've talked to a couple different actors, and they all said real estate is the way to go. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, uh, this has been a fascinating minute, and I think uh, we should go on with one more minute just to, to check this out. But, uh, David, thank you so much for being on today's show. And, oh, uh, thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it, this, this will be great. Uh, if folks would like to uh, learn more about David, he's uh, we have uh, links to uh, his many adventures on our on our website at airportminute.com. You can also uh, visit us on – follow us on social media, rather, and Twitter at Airport Minute. You can find us on Facebook, Airport Minute, or the Airport Minute Commanders Club. If you want to listen to this show every day, Monday through Friday, and have it delivered fresh and hot in your mobile device, just go to iTunes, search for Airport Minute, and it will be delivered the next day once you subscribe. So please do that, uh, and also join us here, please, tomorrow, Friday, as we find out what they're going to do with ADA and that mad bomber in 23A. But join us here tomorrow, here on the Airport Minute. Until then, good day. Bye-bye. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling. Thank you.